The Evolve with Pete Evans podcast is a conversation about my favorite ingredients for a healthy human experience. We take an informed look at topics that include nutritional and emotional well-being as well as expanded consciousness. I love exploring the topics that are not traditionally taught at school and take a deep dive into them with my special guests. I invite you to sit back and come along for the ride with an open mind and heart and please share with your family and friends as these podcasts may just be the seed from which many things will flourish from. Cheers. We've been using Waters Co. water filters for the last 10 years and I wholeheartedly trust my family's health with them. Waters Co., established 1977, have personal and domestic water filters, which turns your ordinary tap water into great tasting, alkaline, ionized mineral water, which removes up to 99.9% of fluoride, heavy metals, chemicals, and bacteria, so you can love your tap water again. The Bio 1000 is the latest edition of the BMP 1000 model and the culmination of over 40 years of experience and research into water filtration by some of the world's leading scientists. Waters Co. was first to market with natural gravity-fed systems, creating alkaline water way back in 1984, and have continued to lead the market in research and development, setting the benchmark for all other brands to follow. Please go to my webpage, PeteEvans.com, to learn more and to receive your special discount from my link on the products page. You're going to love it. Dr. Joseph McCullough is an osteopathic physician, natural health activist, and founder of McCullough.com, one of the top natural health websites in the world. To find out more about Joseph, please visit his website, McCullough.com. That's M-E-R-C-O-L-A.com. Joe, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast once again. How are you, brother? I'm doing really good. Wow. What a unprecedented time in human history, I have to say. And I wanted to get you onto the podcast to have a frank discussion about what we can do from a dietary viewpoint and then I guess also from a practical viewpoint and how do we remain grounded through these challenging times. And we might want to start with uh, how are you doing at the moment personally, brother? Well, I pretty much for the most part, operate out of home regularly anyway. I have for many, many years. So I don't go to an office. And uh, the only thing that really has changed is I don't travel like most people, which is uh, fine with me. I've been so busy because this is just new information to understand and comprehend and digest and integrate into what we already know and make common sense out of this so I can teach it to people. And there's a, information coming in almost like a fire hydrant. You know, it's just difficult to connect and, and digest all of it and synthesize practical projections and information. But I think I've the last three, so I've been really busy the last three months doing that, but it's just sort of surfacing out and we'll be able to attend other projects soon. You said something, you said one word then, which is two words put together, but it's a common sense. And let's explore that because there's so much information in the media at the moment that to me just makes zero sense at all. It's so far from common sense that it's frightening. <laughs> just about everything they're doing is just violating every sense of rational common logic. So, but anyway, that's, but once you understand natural health, it becomes obvious and it's just, you don't have to really think a lot. It's just so straightforward when you just 
put together the pieces. And, and I'd like to help people understand how to do that. Okay, let's get into natural health then, because I'm a big fan of natural health, but I'm also a, um, I'm open and, as I've said in the past, modern medicine and natural wisdom or ancient health is where it's at. You know, we can't dismiss modern technology and we can't dismiss our ancient wisdom. So, mm -hmm. and there seems to be sort of nearly two sides to this and then everything in between. It seems to be, no, there's no such thing as looking after your body in a natural way that will get you primed or ready to be able to deal with these modern day occurrences. And so how do you encourage people to understand what natural health is without it being woo-woo or hippy-dippy well, or <laughs> however? Before we go, there are a few things. First, I like to acknowledge and congratulate you on your courage and bravery for promoting these topics because Australia is a lot worse than the United States with respect to prosecuting and persecuting, might be a better term, people for holding these views. I mean, it's just outrageous what they get away with, but we're kind of approaching that levels in this country too. So thanks for what you're doing over there to keep up the good work. But you mentioned there's two views the conventional medical one and the natural health, which has historically been validated through the time immemorial since humans have existed. So and I'm a big fan of science. I'm a big fan of technology. The challenge with accepting that at face value is that it fails to integrate the full equation, which involves the understanding that the traditional common medical paradigm is routinely heavily influenced by financial interests that dictate these recommendations. And they're sort of behind the scenes, but if you study them really carefully, you'll discover them. And there are probably close to 20,000 scientific journals in the world, and they're actually giving a ranking. Each one is a ranking of how much they influence the world. And the number one, the journal that has the number one ranking is the New England Journal of Medicine. It's good. I don't think it's that good to be number one, but it is. So interestingly, Marsha Angel is a physician and was the editor for, I think, 10, 15, maybe even 20 years at the New England Journal, the most prestigious journal in the world. And she wrote a book discussing her experience in that role. <laughs> and she came to the conclusion, what I've just described is that there's these financial interests that essentially provide incredible conflicts to the researchers and the science that is being promoted. And for anyone who doesn't believe that, I would encourage you to get this book. And it was written probably over 10 years ago, maybe 14 years ago or so. But Marcel, I think, and I don't recall the name of it, but it's real easy to find on uh, your local bookstore or Amazon, uh, A-N-G-E-L-L, Marsha. So uh, that sort of summarizes that perspective. But so that's one viewpoint. So I, I wouldn't accept anything, anything they say at face value. Doesn't mean you need to discount it or dismiss it because it can be life-saving. There's no question. But almost universally, there's always an ulterior motive that is hidden. So unlike natural health, which typically is offers time-honored wisdom, and, and not all natural health therapies are recommended or safe or should even be considered, but most of them, especially if you're following lifestyle, not necessarily high-dose supplements, but lifestyle changes, simple things that our ancestors, our ancient ancestors have done since we've existed. So, and we'll discuss what some of those behaviors are, but 
essentially they result in someone who achieves a metabolic character that is similar to what you and I possess, that we are metabolically fit. We have mitochondria that function well. And why is this important to acknowledge? Because not a high percentage of the population, because of their choices, primarily dietary, but also exercise, fit that role. So there are studies that actually have documented this that are well-published and have looked at peer-reviewed nutritional surveys like the NHANES data, which I think you're probably familiar with. And when they do this analysis, what percentage of the population would you think, at least in the United States, because this study was done in the United States, but I don't think it's any different for Australia, is metabolically fit? Mm. To be honest with you, looking around at the population and without (laughs) being judgmental, but to answer your question, I would say maybe 25%. You, Pete, are beyond, and I want to emphasize beyond generous. You more than doubled the correct answer, which is 12%. So what does that mean? That means 88%, and this is data that is right now is four years old, so it's probably over 90%. Nine out of 10 people are metabolically unfit. And what is that definition? That means they're overweight, they have either overweight, hydrotriglycerides, taking medication for cholesterol, they're diabetic, or, or most certainly the common denominator between all those threads is that they're insulin resistant. And why is this important to point out? Because that is what we have a pandemic of. We have a pandemic of insulin resistance. We do not have a pandemic of this infection that has brought the world to its knees. That is not the problem. If we had the reverse and 90% of the public was metabolically flexible and was not insulin resistant or they were insulin sensitive, we would have 90% less people dying from this infection because that is the problem. When you are metabolically dysfunctional, then your body can, in your immune system, loses its capacity to respond to these types of infections. And what happens? Inflammation goes up. And we know the common denominator in the reason why people are dropping like flies with this is because they get this inflammatory reaction. It's sometimes called the cytokine storm, which is just these inflammatory cytokines and signaling molecules that build up, cause tremendous swelling and actually uh, clotting dysfunctions that ultimately lead to their demise. But if your body has the capacity and a healthy immune system, it never gets to that level because you have, we've been given this gift of how to respond to these infections. These pathogens outnumber us by several orders of magnitudes. There are far, just in one person's body, there's more of these pathogens than there are in the humans in the entire world. And the variety is, is almost endless because there's not only viruses and bacteriophages, the, the viruses that infect bacteria. So there's just almost too numerous to count. And as a result, we have this genetic, well, this, our immune system, which is designed to protect us generically against any type of infectious assault. And so there's a lot of things that make that work. But one of the other things, aside from being metabolically flexible, that's sort of independent of being flexible is another lifestyle characteristic. And that is simply when humans are in the sun and they're not wearing a lot of clothes over their skin and they're in the sun at the appropriate times of the day 
and they get sensible, and I emphasize the word sensible sun exposure, they are going to have exposure to ultraviolet B radiation and also near infrared, which also has many benefits. But the ultraviolet B, as you probably well know, is what is used to stimulate certain cells in your skin to turn into vitamin D. And this, many people may not realize this. And actually, I was, uh, mm. USA wrote a nice big article on me for publishing an mm -hmm. article saying that vitamin C and vitamin D is actually being used to treat COVID-19 infections. And, uh, you know, they said it was just wrong. And use, they offered rebuttal, no evidence to support why it was wrong. And I, had all, and I had all the references and studies, and they offered none as an alternative, which is typical of mainstream media. But getting back to the vitamin D, there was a real interesting study that just came out done by a group that we've been working with for the last 13 years in health funding, which is Grassroot Health. And they did, it's a correlational study, but I think once I share the results, you'll be quite intrigued to find this, is that they looked at 212 patients with COVID-19 in Southeast Asia, and they analyzed their blood levels of vitamin D. What did they find? They found that if they had mild case of COVID, that 94% virtually all of them, had what they considered normal vitamin D levels. And they defined normal as over 30 nanograms per milliliters. And I think in your country, they probably use nanomoles per liter. Is that correct? I think so. Yeah, so you have to multiply that 30 times 2.5 to get the corresponding level. Mm -hmm. And for the, those who were, had severe illness or in critical shape, only 4% of them had normal vitamin D levels. So you can now correlation does not mean causation. So, but is pretty profound evidence to suggest that vitamin D might have something to do with your immune response to this infection. And clearly, there's lots of science to support it at the level thing that generate molecules like calcitin that can help and benefit and support your immune system and fight these infections. So obviously not all of us have the opportunity to go out in the luxury of being in the sun and absorbing it, or might be in lockdown and are unable to. I mean, are you able to go out in the sun or the house arrest? Well, it's an interesting thing. I mean, it, some people take the word of the advice from the politicians literally, as in don't go outside unless you have to. So they actually, from what I've heard, people don't even go outside, you know. And that last time we had a, you were on the podcast, we actually discussed this. And I told you that there'd been newspaper articles written about me saying people want you to get skin cancer or die or whatever yeah, it is, yeah. because I say that, you know, a lot of commercially available sunscreens have toxic chemicals in them and I don't use them to be honest with you you know and I spend hours in the sun every day but I've built up my I guess tolerance or appreciation or sensibility around that and I pick my certain times and if I do go surfing in the middle of the day in Fiji for three hours I'll put a t-shirt yeah. on and I'll put some protective barrier zinc cream that hasn't got any toxic chemicals into it for those particular times but I was labeled a danger to society yeah. and the most recent one was looking at the sun in the morning as the sunrise comes up and actually this is where it quarter past seven in the morning now and we slept in the tent last night on the farm so we're on the ground and for five minutes before I came in here I, I usually say a thank you to the sun in the mornings and uh, have a quick glance at it at that particular time as it's just rising 
And oh, that's perfect. And you're on the ground too with bare feet, I would assume. Mm-hmm. 100%. And the dew is on the grass. And it's the most magical time of the day, I think. Oh, gosh, you could nail that one. That is a very healthy practice. So, but it's sort of a fine tuning. It's not necessary to do it in the morning, but just, just going outside and, get, and you're not getting any vitamin D at that time, obviously, but you're getting other benefits. Correct. And I guess over the last few weeks, I've kept asking the question on my social media why are no health ministers or health professionals that have authority to speak to the public and or government officials talking about how to build or maintain a healthy immune system, including sun exposure. And I think you probably summed it up there. If 90% of the population have an inactive immune system, and that might be the wrong terminology, how can they advise? And can they advise anything like this to keep a strong immune system if people don't already have one? Is there a dilemma in there? Is there a conundrum? Is there like a... Oh, there's more than that. It's actually not an inactive immune system. It might be temporarily active, but I think a more accurate term would be impaired, which is what happens when you have insulin resistance. So yeah, the, the, what's present and what's preventing this from happening is called conflict of interest because it would involve recommending activities that would take income and revenue from the two primary advertisers on most of these, on the media, certainly, and also the contributors to the political campaigns of the politicians. So there is a massive, massive conflict of interest, which prevents these from being implemented. Because if the warnings were, or the recommendations were to stay in place and put people under house arrest and stay in their homes and not and social distancing and all this nonsense, and it was instead focused on the things that would build their immune system, we would change our health overnight, literally within weeks. It would be magical. But it would involve things like changing the foods and eliminating processed foods. Not so much the sugar, although that's not really good in large quantities, but the processed industrial omega-6 vegetable oils, which are probably one of the worst foods on the planet that you can eat. And they're in almost every major processed food that has fat. So that's what's ruining people's health. So that message isn't getting out because the producers of these products support the very people who are making the recommendations. So why are they going to recommend something that's going to compete or conflict with their sponsors? They're not going to. It's not going to happen. Well, I heard... It was two weeks ago, pretty much today, where Donald Trump came out with one of his advisors and was saying that sunlight can kill this virus. And I was like, whoa, go Trumpy. (laughs) First person I've heard in any position talking about that and also UV light. Now, that was turned into a shit show because it turned, because he mentioned something else and the media just went on that direction instead of going down the sunlight direction. So what are your thoughts on that? Like what happened? How did Trump get that information to talk about UV light and sunlight? And was he correct? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Sunlight will, for a variety of reasons, you know, just being in the sun, they're banning people from the beach. Now, fortunately they haven't done it on the beach that I live close to. And so I've been able to walk on the beach every day. That's in Florida. I live in a County that was a lot wiser and I had some influence, I connected with the county commissioner and gave him my recommendations and some studies to support it. And 
it worked, you know, so we, our county was never closed. We're in the few counties in the state and now pretty much, you know, it's been, it's quieted down to the opening of things up, but fortunately that didn't happen here. But on the beach, you've got access to the sun and the sun will increase your vitamin D levels if you're not wearing much clothes. There's no question about it. And I really appreciate the details you reviewed to emphasize the importance of sensible sun exposure. If you're fair complected, the last thing you want to do is go out in the bright summer sun, especially in Australia, for three hours. That is just a prescription for disaster. So you, you have to do it carefully and with common sense. And you never, never, never want to get burnt. But if you're following those practices and you don't get burnt, you're only going to get a dose. Because, you know, at least in America, if a little bit is good, more is better, right? That's a typical approach. And interestingly, with sun exposure, the moment your skin starts to turn a little bit pink, just the slightest shade of pink, you've got all of the UVB you need to make vitamin D. Yeah, any more exposure is only going to cause harm. It's not going to give you more additional benefits. So there's no reason to be in the sun. And, you know, initially at the beginning of the season, I guess, let me see, you're just coming into winter, so you're on the downside. We're just entering summer. Actually, I've been in summer for a while now because May here, our summer in Florida starts a lot sooner than the rest of the U.S. So it becomes less of an issue for the people in Australia because, you know, the, you're just going to have decreasing sun. And that's typically the season that the increase in upper respiratory infection, colds and flus starts is when the sun starts to disappear or you go into winter. You know, it's winter and fall, winter and early spring is when you have the infections, which is exactly what's happened in the Northern Hemisphere. Mm-hmm. You know, when it's starting to decrease, which is exactly what you predict because you're go- if you're not forced into house arrest, you're going outside, getting movement, getting sun, and you're activating your immune system. So which is, you know, a wise thing to do. So can sunlight kill this? Absolutely. There are three different types of ultraviolet. There's ultraviolet A, B, and C. And A and B are the only ones that reach the surface of the earth. C is the most effective, and it's actually a germicidal frequency that they use in lamps specifically to kill things. So, And the sun certainly emits it, but it just doesn't make it through the ozone there. The ozone there just knocks it out. And uh, it's relatively safe. Uh, you don't want to look at it necessarily, but it's relatively safe, and it's certainly germicidal. But that may not be its primary mechanism, sunlight, how it works. I think it may work more to improving your immune system. And then the near-infrared is what activates mitochondrial function and improves, again, your insulin resistance because it just gives your cells more energy to work with. And another thing you can do when you're out walking on a beach, you are doing something called exercise. (laughs) And exercise is a powerful strategy. Because one of the things it does just, and walking certainly qualifies. I mean, you don't have to go out and run marathons for sure. Surfing is another, you know, doing things you'd love to do where you're moving and engaging in the activity is just tremendous because it increases a receptor on your cells called GLUT4. And this GLUT4 receptor is responsible for connecting with the glucose or the sugar in your blood and then transporting it into the cell. And when you lower the sugar in your blood, you decrease insulin resistance, which is the primary reason why people are metabolically dysfunctional. So exercise is certainly a big part of the equation. It's not the only part. You can't, your mouth can't out-exercise your, the food you're eating. So, <laughs> you know, you're, you can't out-exercise your mouth. That's the way I meant to phrase it. So because the, you can sabotage your health by poor food choices, but you can optimize it by having good food choices and exercise. 
So it's just some, some people put a, an inordinate emphasis on exercise and use that as a justification for eating junk food. And that's happening in spades. I mean, the, I think the amount, I forget the specifics, and it may make a mistake, but it's at least double, and it may have went up by 500%, the, the amount of alcohol being drunk and the amount of junk foods being consumed. It's just people are just satisfying these desires because they're confined and restricted and they're using that as a reward, I guess, to mm. It's amazing. I mean, you and I have probably a, a different social media following than you probably target those 12% of people, as you mentioned. And it's amazing because so many people have actually, I won't say benefited, but they've used this as a positive to mm-hmm. be cooking more, to be connecting more with their families, to be doing the things that they know will strengthen if that's the right word, or keep themselves in peak physical, mental, spiritual health during this time. Whereas what you said, the 85 or 88% of people that have metabolic issues potentially are going to continue their path of their evolution into that space, which is, you know, more of the alcohol, more of the refined processed foods. So... I was having this discussion yesterday with my wife and this talk about the great awakening, you know, how do we mm-hmm. take humanity into the next phase of conscious evolution? Mm-hmm. And I'm a little bit confused about that because if there's only 10% or 12% that actually look after their bodies and not to judge, but how does this happen? How do well, we- it's because of the conflict of interest. And you, in some ways, it's difficult to blame the mass public. It's not that they're choosing. Correct. They're basically ignorant because they've been manipulated and deceived. And I can definitely expand on that in a moment. So what's the way through for well, the population? Because as you said, it there, comes down to choice. Okay, <laughs> I'll, I'll let you go. I've got a few other topics. So first one is the question, are you healthier now than before the epidemic? My guess is yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so your health has improved. You use it to get healthier, right? Mm-hmm. I did too. I'm much healthier now than before the epidemic started just because I'm focusing more. I'm more at home focused. As the same is true for, I've talked to Mark Sisson, who you probably know, Ben Greenfield, Dave Asprey. All of us are healthier. Mm-hmm. Every one of us are healthier. So, you know, I haven't talked to a lot of people, but, you know, those people. So you can use it to stay healthy. Now, with respect to social media, and this goes into your more important question that I think that I would like to spend some time addressing. That's part of the problem because they're using social media. What, what is it? Basically Facebook, Twitter, but you've got other entities like Google and YouTube. And these are platforms that radically influence our consumption of information. I mean, Google, 92% of the world population, 92% of the searches done in the world are done on Google. That's just an astounding number. And the internet is literally, in my view, one of the greatest innovations in the history of mankind, where you can compile all this information. But the compilation of information is virtual. And anyone who has been on the internet since the 70s, like I have, or you know, before the 90s, before the World Wide Web existed, will know. And even in the last century, just keep it at that, that the value of the internet is only based upon your ability to find space. Because if it exists and you don't know where it is, it's useless. It's unavailable to you. So as I said, the common portal to find that information is typically Google for most people. They are the arbiter of truth. They are making decisions. They are censoring many 
health sites that are telling people the truth and is furthering their agenda. So my site has been censored for about a year now, as of hundreds of other sites. And what do they put up instead of those? So you would type in a search and our site came up because I've been, my site's been up there for 20 years and we've been the most visited natural site in the world for the last 17. So we had a lot of keywords they're called. You type it in, we would come up number one because we just earned it. And we didn't cheat it. We didn't game it. We just earned it. And they knew we were competition. So what sites are they putting up there instead? They're putting three sites, WebMD, Medical News Today, I believe, and Healthline. And what do all these three sites have in common? They are all owned by ad agencies that buy advertising through Google. And the ads they offer, they will, so you type in a topic like gout, rheumatoid arthritis, and you'll get one of those three sites will come up. I guarantee you just try it now and you'll see. I mean, I'm not baloney in you. And then you go into the article and then you will find it's one of those sites and in the article, there will be advertisements for drugs to treat that condition. And that is illegal, but no one's prosecuting them. It's mm-hmm. totally illegal. It's a scam. It's a setup. So, you know, you can have your average person that part of the 88% who are metabolically inflexible and sincerely interested in find, understanding the truth, finding a solution. They go to what they believe to be an objective arbiter of truth, their favorite search engine. In fact, that word searching the internet now has been exchanged to be equivalent as Googling. Okay. That's how you find something, mm-hmm. information. You Google it. Mm-hmm. So that's, and that's what they do. When they first started 20 years, actually my site started before Google did. I don't know if you knew that, but i started before Google. And, but when they first came on board, I was delighted because it was really good. It was good for the first few years until they started changing their model. And it's gotten worse and worse and worse. And now they're into what's called surveillance capitalism. And there's a phenomenal book if you want to know more about it, by Shana Zuboff. She's a Harvard scholar. And she wrote the book Surveillance Capitalism and goes into the sordid history of this mess that they've developed. But essentially, because of this barrier to find information, you have to use alternatives. So what can you use? Well, they're tracking you. The reason I'm going into this is the details, just to give you the background, because there is an effort to develop a tyrannical society. That tyranny is what they're after after this. this is, I believe this is a... This isn't by coincidence. This is not a virus that somehow magically came out of bat soup. That is just a fairy tale, okay? And we've got documented evidence for that. It'll be coming out real. I don't know when you're going to air this podcast, but it's going to be very, very clear. There's very reputable, even conventional mass media now are posting these stories. Although mm-hmm. YouTube is just censoring it because they say it's fake. But there's lots of solid scientific peer-reviewed evidence supporting that this is a man-made virus. So it got loose in the wild. I'm not saying that it was done intentionally, but it's definitely man-made. There is, this is not a natural virus. So came out, and in support of that, which is one of the, the ways that I'm somewhat excited, you probably don't know, there's no reason you would, but the number one book in the U.S. right now on Amazon, the number one book not just in some obscure subcategory like pediatric neurology. The number one of all books, ahead of Michelle Obama's, all of them, is a book called The Plague of Corruption. Mm-hmm. Judy. Yes, written by Judy Mikovits, who I interviewed. A phenomenal interview I did with her. I think it's one of the best because you know, I really cut down her stuff and spliced it together and tried to make it in digestible pieces that's easy to understand. So 
the fact that her book is number one is just, Judy is just an amazing woman, but I can assure you with the highest degree of confidence, she is not a marketer. She has not the microgram of business savvy in her body. Can she you explain? Because you can game the system. I know many, many, many people who've gamed the system have gotten an Amazon number one bestseller, but they were sophisticated marketers, and that is not Judy. Judy has achieved it the right way because there is an interest. People are just dying to get this information. They want to know the truth. And Judy has the truth. She's been pioneering this thing for decades. She's one of the most qualified people in the world to discuss this issue because she's a, a molecular biologist and a virologist. And she's been through the barriers and she's had massive fights with Fauci. Can you explain briefly for anybody that hasn't heard of Judy or the plague, what this is? Well, essentially, I mean, it would take a long time to go into details. It's, it's, it's very deep. But she and her mentor, Frank Rossetti, discovered a, a gamma retrovirus, which is very similar to AIDS, okay? And she found out, discovered, and proved it in science and published it in the journal Science, which I think is more reputable than the New England Journal. She published this uh, 10 years ago now, I think, maybe 11 and published her findings that the sequences of the RNA, because it's an RNA virus, and he had it published and was exposing the fact that this had 30 million people who were exposed to it, and it was a cause of many illnesses, like chronic fatigue in the United States, otherwise known throughout the other world as chronic meningoencephalomyelitis, I believe, and a lot of autoimmune disorders and predisposes to many, many other problems like arthritis and such. So her supposition is that and she actually sequenced out this gene and documented what reactions it has once it's in your body. And she documented the specific molecular signature of the cytokine storm that occurs with a XMRV, which is the name of the gamma retrovirus, which is a sort for xenotropic murine retrovirus, I think. And the signature is identical for COVID-19. And it's her strong belief that COVID-19 is not caused by SARS-CoV-2 exclusively. It's the combination. SARS-CoV-2 infects the person and then reactivates the XMRV infection that was already there, which then causes the cytokine storm and the pathology that occurs in the plating disorders, the platelet disorders or the bleeding disorders that are occurring in many patients, which is probably a primary reason why they're also dying. So because the coronavirus doesn't cause that, it's the XMRV virus that's causing it. So she's got a lot of prescriptions. My interview goes into great details and consolidates it. And, you know, she talks about masks not being useful and why they harm the immune system and not to wear them and, and what you can do to actually treat this. She even discusses how to make a safe vaccine, an oral safe vaccine that would work and have no side effects, which is like, but it will never, well, I guess you, we could potentially make it because it's doable and she could actually, she has the technical skills to create the a supply or the raw materials of a clean, uncontaminated virus. So you're probably wondering, well, how do all these people get these XMRV infections? Because this problem that she exposes is that, and very few people understand this, Bobby Kennedy does, and a number of other people, but not many people do, is that these vaccines are grown on animal cell culture lines. They're just not spun off in a test tube somewhere and they grow them and they grow them on animal cell cultures, like mice, like kidneys, like chimpanzees. 
dogs, you know, and even aborted placentas or aborted human tissues, okay? These viruses require food and they need animal cell material to do that, to, to replicate, and then they harvest them. So in the process of replicating and producing the essentially raw material to create the vaccines, there are contaminants. And these are not only the additives they put in, like aluminum, as they use as an adjuvant to improve the immune response, and other toxins and preservatives, but these are just contaminants that are already in the cell cultures from those animals. That's how they're being spread. It's like almost physiologically impossible for a zoonotically transmitted viral infection to start in some remote location in China and spread over the world instantaneously. It just can't happen. It's physiologically impossible. The only way it would happen is something like Judy is speculating. You know, and essentially those who are given the immunizations are most likely the ones who are suffering the most. And if you have metabolic dysfunction on top of that, it's a prescription for disaster. You know, they like to emphasize that young people are dying for this, and they are. There is no question, unlike the flu, where even young people who have metabolic dysfunction are dying, they are with this disinfection because it's significantly more pathogenic. But almost every single one of those young people who are dying are metabolically dysfunctional. They have the risk factors. They are either overweight, they're diabetic, or they have you know, high triglycerides, or they have dark skin. They could be African-American, they could be Indian, or Middle Eastern. The common characteristic of that is because of the dark skin. It's not a poverty issue at all. It's because they need a lot more sun exposure, and typically as a result of the dark skin, they have very low vitamin D levels. Unless they're supplementing, many of those people are not. So they're at high risk. They have vitamin D levels in the dirt. And, you know, add that with metabolic inflexibility, a previous exposure of multiple vaccines, and it's just a prescription for disaster. Hmm. That was a long-winded answer. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> I love it. So where do we go to from here? Yeah, so the other point I wanted to make is, so that's important. I, her book, definitely get her book if you like to read the backstory. It's a great book. The first book, Plague, is really, is, it definitely don't read the first book first. You read it backwards. You read the second book and then the first book because the first one is mostly all science. It's very convoluted. Second one's a lot easier to read, and it's got a 5% of the book is a forward by Robert F. Kennedy Jr., which is the best forward of a book I've ever read. Highly mm. recommend it. That's the best summary of the vaccine problem that I've ever seen. And he is enormous respect for Judy. I well, just interviewed him last week too. So, But watch my interview with Judy for sure. I mean, it's just, we're going to have part two this week. We had part one last week and in part two, we're, we're integrating with Bobby Kennedy's one about the dangers of the vaccine. My family and I have been using beautiful, high quality essential oils for the last 20 years to live healthily every single day. Now, if you're passionate about health and are ready to step into leadership, I want to invite you to partner with my team and I to build a beautifully successful doTERRA business. Register at PeteHLC.com backslash Pete. That's PeteHLC, which stands for the Healthy Living Collective, dot com backslash Pete. Fantastic. I want to bring up what just happened here in Australia this week, actually. So our rugby team or our rugby teams are permitted to play again after lockdown. And are the stadiums open or not? I'm not exactly sure how they're going to roll this out. But what was interesting was 10 of the players out of, I'm not sure, maybe a thousand players, the rules were that they all needed to get a flu vaccine for them to be able to play. And 10 players stood up and said, 
we will not be forced to do this. And they thousand? It's only 1%. I'm, I'm not exactly sure of it, but I just know there was eight to 10 players that said, uh-uh, we're not doing that. And a prime minister came out the next day and said, well, they shouldn't be able to play if they don't get vaccination. And then so did one of the other ministers. But interestingly enough, yesterday it was that the New South Wales Players Association or the Rugby Players Association, I think, came back and said, they're going to let them play. And that was the first time I believe I have seen anyone in this country stand up for their civil rights, I think it is, and for yes. medical freedom. Yeah. And yeah. I shared that, but what's happening here at the moment is they've just passed a law where if somebody is in a nursing home or aged care home, it is mandatory for you to even, for you to visit them. If your grandparents are in there or your parents are in there, you have to show proof of a flu vaccination. And if you're a nurse or a doctor or even a, a contractor, like an electrician that works on those premises, you have to show proof of a flu vaccine. Mm-hmm. That's happening here in Australia at the moment. Which we know is a risk factor now for getting COVID-19. And it has absolutely nothing to do with you getting SARS-CoV-2. It offers no protection. And in fact, there are multiple publications showing the precise opposite. People who get the flu vaccine are more likely to get respiratory infections. So it does the exact opposite of what they're trying to do. But, and, and also Djokovic, I think is his name. He's the number one rated tennis player in the world. Mm-hmm. He also made, I don't know if you're familiar with, he also said he will refuse to play tennis ever if they force him to take the vaccine. He will opt out of tennis. Number one player in the world. So my question to you is, why does it seem that so many people don't get affected by, say, the normal vaccines that are out there in the world, yet I've met so many mothers with children that a small percentage seem to say without, with their hand or their hearts, it says, my child was injured from that vaccine. But it's a, from my understanding, it's very, 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 very small percentage. Well, Ostensibly, I mean, the, you, who knows the law of unintended consequences, but the long-term complications are, which are significant. When I went into medical school, the incidence of autism was only one in 10,000, one in 10,000. I never saw an autistic patient the first years of my practice. Within 15 years, I had hundreds of autistic children. The number of autistic patients now is one in 30, from one in 10,000 to one in 30. We have an explosion of these types of illnesses and and chronic disease in kids. We are seeing complications from these vaccines. We're just not understanding or recognizing it. But I wanted, rather than focus on that, because that can be a rabbit hole and go on down for hours, is to finish up with the hope that I was seeking to confirm with the popularity of Judy's book. And what you also expect a rugby association standing up for those who chose to refuse the vaccine. That is the hope. You would find this very interesting. So yesterday on a mainstream news site in Australia, after this announcement was made, they had a poll where people could vote. Should the rugby players be allowed to choose not to have a vaccine if that's their desire, or should they be forced to have a vaccine to play? And as I looked on the polls last night, it was 54% in favour of the players being able to make a choice against 46% of not being able to make a choice and being forced to. And that was about 80,000 to 90,000 people had voted in Australia on this new site. 
Yeah. So more people believe we should have the choice from that poll. And that wasn't a small poll. It wasn't 200 people. It was no, no, 80, 80 90,000. Additional evidence that is highlighting the fact that this plan may backfire on them, that there is hope that people will finally start to wake up and stand up for their rights and to find alternative ways to understand what's going on, to understand that they're hiding the truth from you, that they have censored hundreds, thousands of sites, not only from Google, but from YouTube, which is the primary way people consume information and seek to you know, do their research, quote unquote, and they think they're doing it, but they don't understand. They aren't because the real information is not there anymore. They took it off. So if you want to find it, you know, you got to go to sites like BitChute, B-I-T-C-H-U-T-E, which they don't censor. They don't ban anyone on BitChute. So that's where people are putting their material because, I mean, they're just taking down YouTube videos left and right that are exposing this. I mean, there's, you know, I, Judy Matmikovitz's, they had 100 million views. This person did a doc, it's called The Plandemic. Just look at it on mm. BitChute. I think my interview with her was a little better. This one's only 29 minutes. I did like an hour and a half. And it goes far deeper. And, uh, you know, the guy who interviewed her was just a layman. He's not a scientist or a physician. But anyway, he did a good job of putting it together. And he had like 100 million views and they took it off of YouTube. And now it's now it's on BitChute, though. So this is just an example. I just took this off today so, or yesterday. So it's just exactly what you predict. But to me, it underlines there's hope that you push people too far and they're going to react. Their common sense starts to wake up and say, no, this is not right. Something is not right here, and I'm not, I'm going to refuse to accept it. And it may come to a revolution, a worldwide revolution on this, because, but there's going to be some pain and suffering before people are motivated enough to react. They're just starting to react in the United States. You know, they were locked down. There was a lot of protest, a lot of protest. And they just, this week, a judge had the audacity to take a single mother who was an owner of a hair salon who refused to follow the tyrannical orders of the Dallas County magistrate who said, you cannot open your business. She opened it, was started seeing people, and they put her in jail and was going to find her $3,500. And then at the trial, the judge says, if you apologize, we'll let you go. She says, I'm not apologizing for feeding my child. Hmm. So they threw her in jail. And today, the governor overruled him. Hmm. So there's definitely hope out there. Because you can't implement this tyranny and crush the people without consequences. So where to from here, Joe? Where to? Anybody that's listening to this? Well, you've got to understand the reality. You've got to start searching. You've got to get the truth. You've got to get the information. I think I do a pretty good job. I've got to, been doing this for decades. We've got a good team. So I'm certainly not the only one out there. We'll point you to people. We have a, you know, for this, we've got a blog too that we put four or five posts a day. It just normally takes us like two weeks to write an article that's a little more researched and reviewed. But there are lots of other great sites out there that you need to be aware of and find before they start censoring them. And then you can connect with them. So stop using Google. Part of the other strategies is mandatory vaccination. Gates is the devil. There's just no doubt about it. And that people are starting to understand that in this United States. I mean, you can't make a post now with people just berating him for the, I mean, he's, he's behind almost all this nefarious actions. He's one of the major funders of the hoof, not the major funder. I think he is now because the first, the primary funder used to be the United States, but Trump pulled back those funds. And then the one right behind him was Bill Gates. Anthony Fauci is on his board. Bert Burks, who is on the uh, 
coronavirus committee from Trump, his advisory committee is paid by him. So, you know, so you have to understand that. So his intention is for mass vaccination. So understand that vac- that is, they will never, never do this. And it's, they're using this as an excuse to fast track this vaccine. Gates has said repeatedly that, that you will not be safe until we vaccinate every single person in the world for this vaccine. And normally it takes 10 to 15 years, almost all the experts confirm that to do the appropriate safety trouble trials to make sure there's no danger. They are, we've only had this infection in the United States for this year, literally a few months. They have already started human clinical trials of the vaccine and they project to have it available by the fall, which is insane. It is going to cause so many problems, so many complications. And you've got to refuse it. You've got to demand. They can't do this. This is violating the Nuremberg Code. It's just illegal. And it's tyrannical. It's just a violation of your informed consent. You can refuse it and you should refuse it. This is not going to be safe because there's no way it's, they, there's not enough time to do safety trials on it. Is it possible to make a safe vaccine? I think so. Judy Mikovits goes in it in my interview with him how to do it. Are they going to do that? No, they're not going to do that. They're going to give you one that's going to make them billions and billions of dollars. So in our country here, what was stated this week by our prime minister was things will not go back to normal until the vaccine is produced and we yes. get it in our possession, basically. And But on your side of the world, in the United States, it seems that Trump, without going too political, seems to be wanting to open businesses. And I don't think he has said that yet, but I could be wrong with that. Well, it's a, you know, we don't want to go there because it's a, it's a very complex and complicated mm-hmm. scenario. Sure. And what Trump believes and does are two different things because it's Got complex. It. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, the, it's the politics and, you know, there's a deep, deep game that we do not know what's going on behind closed doors. Gotcha. So, you know, so it's too confusing and divisive to even go there. And that's what they want us to do. They want you to make this a Republican Democrat thing. This, this, you know, so it's, they polarize the public and that's mm-hmm. not the issue. They're both bad. Mm-hmm. They both have problems. You know, it's, we want liberty and freedom. That's what we want. We don't want tyranny. So let's go back. I mean, you and I have worked on a couple of books over the years and we're working on another one at the moment, which is about different things that we can put into our diet to maintain health. So what are some of those things that people listening to this at home might want to consider having in their their list of ingredients that may benefit them not only now, but in the future for optimal health? Well, certainly we could spend a few hours answering that question, <laughs> but, but I believe that what is a more profound intervention mm-hmm. to address the metabolic dysfunction is not so much what you eat, it's when you eat. Gotcha. So in more specifics, we've done studies in the United States that show 90%, interestingly about the same number of people are metabolically dysfunctional, 90% of the people eat more than 12 hours a day. And the majority of people eat probably more than 16 hours a day. So they're eating from the moment they wake up to the time they go to bed and some people wake up and eat. And that Pete will cause metabolic dysfunction on steroids. Our bodies were never designed to do that. 
we need to go through times of eating and fasting. So ideally, you want to cut that down to about eight hours and maybe even eventually six. And you do it slowly because if you're eating 14 hours a day now, the last thing you want to do is cut down to eight hours right away because you will be symptomatic and you will be angry at me forever mentioning this. But if you do it slowly and just radically restrict, I'm not even saying changing anything to your diet, just doing that will have dramatic impact on the way you feel your ability to metabolize fat as a primary fuel, as I discussed in our book, Fat for Fuel, and the cookbook you wrote for that book. So that's probably the first step. And then you got to be careful with the macronutrients. So you don't want to don't have a lot of carbs and even more dangerous are industrially processed omega-6 vegetable oils. So you have to eliminate those. I mean, those are just not good. Every time you not so much the sugar, but the industrial processed oils, which is processed foods. If you eliminate processed foods, you've solved the problem because regular omega-6 oil from real foods is not bad. It's okay. You need some, but you don't need the stuff that's in the processed foods. Mm. So that's the first step, you know, and then, you know, if you're going to add things to your diet, the most important thing, unless you're getting some, like, you know, hardly anyone. I mean, that it's such an oppressive regime that it, I'm not sure exactly the reasons for it, that there's just this suppression of information or fear that they've drilled into the people about the sun. So, you know, virtually everyone's wearing sunscreen and staying out of the sun, you know, which is problematic, but you couldn't compensate for that in making vitamin D. So measure your vitamin D level in your blood. And if it's low, then take supplement. Usually it's a minimum of 2000. If it's really low, you take 10,000 units and you take that until it normalizes into the healthy levels that I mentioned earlier. So that would be the most important stuff because you've got to get the basics first. You know, the nutrients and the herbs are useful, but you've got, they work much better when you're metabolically flexible. So some good nutrients would be zinc. Zinc is crazy good uh, because in that they're using drugs. In the United States, you've got one called plaquenilin or hydroxychloroquine, which seems to work because it actually helps zinc go into the cell. And actually, when they do the studies with and without zinc, the ones who don't get the zinc, it doesn't work that well. So... You know, zinc is really an important thing for your immune system. And vitamin C is useful too, not necessarily to take high doses every day, but if you come down with the infection, side doses can be really, really useful and therapeutic. And I guess last thing would be, you've just released a new book called emf And mm -hmm. what's the simplest piece of advice you can give people to help minimize the risk of EMFs? And does that mess with our immune system? Most certainly it does. Does it contribute to COVID-19? No one knows. It's certainly, I don't believe 5G is the cause of COVID-19 or the virus, viral epidemic, as some people are speculating, but it definitely impairs the immune system. So it theoretically should increase your risk. So the simplest thing you can do, it's complex. So I wrote a book about it and I took the best chapter of the book and giving it away for free. And to get that chapter, you go to emf, emf.mercola.com. And you can download the book. So there's literally it's 25 pages on, on what you can do and how to do it to protect yourself from the dangers of this, because that is the essentially the purpose of the book. And fortunately, the book was written way ahead of its I should have written the book like in 10 years because it's way ahead of its time. And people are not ready for it yet. It's like it was like the best analogy is like writing a book about the dangers of smoking in 1950. <laughs> It's, a, it's the perfect analogy. So the book is maybe 50 years ahead of its time. That book on anti-smoking in the 1960s, 70s might have worked a little bit. 
you know, but people could care less. They don't think it, they aren't concerned about it. every health authority and public health official they know and media source tells them it's not an issue. So why should they be concerned? Why should they be concerned? It's a complex reason, reason why that, but essentially it goes back to this conflict of interest in lobbyists and control of and capture of the federal regulatory agencies that are responsible for supposedly protecting us, and they aren't because they've been captured by the industry. Mm, I want to get to finish off. We started with common sense. And my viewpoint on this is at the moment, we seem to put so much trust into our government and health agencies. And mm-hmm. people go, well, they're the experts. They're the mm-hmm. experts. They're the experts. So we, we that's ne- not necessarily bad. It's not so bad. And that's, you know, or irrational. And my common sense radar comes up and goes, okay, well, when have they ever got it wrong? And you just mentioned then cigarettes, maybe asbestos, maybe something else. So there's all these, if we look back through history, doctors and governments have got certain things wrong, but also certain things right that protect us. So how can there be a blanket statement that, everything that the experts say now is correct. And in 20, 30, 40, 50 years, like you said about EMFs, look back and go, hmm, okay, we got that wrong. So many people that change their life, the way that they eat, they're usually broken. They're usually in pain and they've tried every single thing out there, every single route. And all of a sudden they're like, you know what? I just need to get out of this pain. Maybe I'll try that holistic approach. And is that sort of what happens through human history where things have to break to a point before we can rebuild our system? Yes. And that's precisely what's happening. What really gives me great hope that there is going to be change because people are starting to see that they've gone too far with this epidemic. And just to highlight some resources for people to understand the thread that you were seeking to put together for them with the misconception and misinformation. There's a movie and a book written, Merchants of Doubt, which outlines, it's called the tobacco strategy, the tobacco industry strategy. That they, There's multiple, they give examples of six other major industries that have done it. Asbestos was another one, of course, and a wide variety of others. And certainly the EMF is not in the book, but it's in my book and I describe the details and relate it. So yeah, that's the thread. People are going to have to suffer somewhat like an alcoholic. They're addicted to this. They're, you know, they're, to this poison and not necessarily do their own means, but they've been manipulated and deceived for profit and they continue to be. And the technological capacity to do this manipulation is expanding almost exponentially because of Google, primarily Google. And the behavioral surveillance they have and the ability to manipulate and change behavior is beyond your ability to imagine it which is why I mentioned some of those resources earlier. They can control, they can manipulate things, they can show you things. They, this is well proven. This is scientifically proven how they can change your behavior and you change your views on something. They took, as an example, there's this, a sociologist from Harvard, Robert Epstein, who I've also done an interview with and showed this. He, he ran his own experiment. He actually took an actual data and web pages from an election in New Zealand or Australia. So he ran the study in the US. So like no one knew who these people were. It was real data. And all he did was change the order of the ranking in the search engine. And he totally changed the results of the outcome. It's been, they've showed that Google has already influenced 25% of the elections in the world. 
they change the results. And that's just what we know. And there's more that we don't know what they're doing. They have the most talented artificial intelligence experts in the world. They own DeepMind. Dennis Hassabas and the team that made AlphaGo, the Go champions. Are you familiar with the game Go and that they beat the world champion? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that was like considered to be the most incredible advance in artificial intelligence ever. One of the most foundational jumps and thought what's going to happen for decades, maybe even this century. And they did it. And they're using, they own it. That's their technology. They own it and they game it and they're just, their knowledge and their ability is changing exponentially. And that's a concept that most human brains can't fully comprehend. And that's what's actually happening to the economy. The debt's going up exponentially, which is, you know, that's a whole other discussion and financial collapse and, you know, essentially their ability to influence stuff. So it's going to be, you know, their goal is to make us slaves. There's just no doubt about it. So just escape from Google and you can fight it. And, you know, it's going to, I think it's going to get a little worse, but in some ways that's good because it's going to wake people up. And hopefully they'll listen to information like this and information you're sharing and find other sites and then learn the truth. You can figure it out. There's not a micro doubt in my mind, none, zero, nada, that the truth is out there. You can find it. You are smart enough to figure this out. You just have to find resources. Don't use Google. Use Brave, B-R-A-V-E as your browser. So don't use Chrome. Use Switch to Brave. Within Brave, you can download an extension called Swiss Cows, Swiss like the country, Switzerland, Swiss Cows, C-O-W-S. And it's extension. It's a search engine alternative to Google. Right now, it's one of the best ones out there. And don't use Google anymore. Every time you use Google or Chrome or an Android phone, when you talk into it, they're capturing your voice forever. The tone, they're understanding what your emotion is, where you are, where you're going. They're learning everything about you so they can sell your information to third parties. And But more importantly, the biggest pernicious threat is they're changing your behavior for their nefarious purposes. So Hmm. good news and bad news. The good news is that if you know, if you are armed, if you are informed, you don't, you have an alternative. You can be wise to this and be proactive and circumvent their nefarious plans. Joe, it's been beautiful to talk to you once again. And Thank you for your time. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your honesty. And I just want to tell you, brother, I love you always. And love to you and your partner, Aaron, as well. And I can't wait to walk along the beach with you again one day. (laughs) Yeah, that will be fun. That will be fun for sure. Yeah, maybe, I I don't know if I'm going to be traveling. But, you know, it's hard to travel nowadays because they, see, the world will always, is forever changed. You will not be able to travel on an airplane ever now without wearing a mask. And most likely, you're going to pay double their flight plane because you're going to, you can't be sitting next to someone anymore. <laughs> so how are they going to pay for the fuel if the plane is half full, you know? Mm. Anyway. New energy anyway, source. It was great being with you. Thank you for having me on and allowing me to share my thoughts. And uh, hopefully it was helpful. And stay healthy with your family. Thank you, brother. You too. Love you. All right. If you would like to become a qualified health coach, then the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, or IIN for short, can help you achieve your goals. I completed the health coaching course many years ago, which has been one of the catalysts for my own journey into what I now love to do, which is to help people achieve greater health through the sharing of information through my books, seminars, podcasts, TV shows, and films. I recommend IIN for anyone wishing to pursue a career in the health coaching and wellness space. 
IIN is a one-year course, so that if you're a full-time worker, busy parent, or wherever you are in your life, it is flexible enough so you'll be able to complete all the required curriculum. Please see the link included in the podcast show notes or my website to access the free sample class and first module of their program. This will give you a great taste of the format as well as the structure, and you can also utilize my special discount that I can offer you if you decide to sign up. Make sure you tell the admissions team that you're part of the Pete Evans Tuition Savings to claim your very substantial discount. Please visit integrativenutrition.com or email admissions at integrativenutrition.com. The information, views and opinions expressed in this podcast should not be treated as a substitute for nutritional, medical or other advice by a qualified professional. Guests in this podcast express their own opinions, experiences and conclusions. Nothing in this podcast should be used to diagnose, treat, cure or prevent any medical condition. Neither Pete Evans nor any sponsor endorse any views, opinions or conclusions expressed or shared in this podcast.